0: morning folks bless you for being here today uh before i forget it if uh, we've got little bags in the back uh that we want you to take and put in your car and when you see somebody on a corner that just needs a word of blessing a word of encouragement a little reminder that he is loved and important give me one of these you don't have to be a theologian you don't have to memorize the romans road you don't have to be a good prayer just stick it out there and say bless you or, or whatever but uh Anyway, there are good things, and I try to give out one or two every week, and uh, it's a good thing. If you're a student, you're dismissed to go with Mr. Nick and or Ms. Sherry, and um, y'all have fun out there. Again, welcome. I'm glad you're here today. I trust you had a good Thanksgiving. Um, I'm very thankful. Um, we just had a good, a good time at Thanksgiving. It was, it was really nice. Um, I want to talk to you today um, about something that uh, I really want the Lord to open our eyes to. If you've got a copy of the Scriptures, I wish you'd turn to Luke chapter 11. Um, Last week we took a little detour and spent some time talking about thankfulness and gratitude and and, uh, just in honor of the holiday. But we're back on our, as Jay Vernon would say, we're back on the Bible bus. And we're, uh, we're, we're going through the life of Jesus and the Gospels. And um, I still love to listen to him. Um, sometimes he scares me, but, but I still love listening to him. Um, and so we, two weeks ago, we uh, saw Jesus at the home of Mary and Martha. Um, he had stopped there. Remember, he's in his third year of ministry the last year of ministry, and he's spending the lion's share of his time in Jerusalem during the day, teaching, ministering, discipling, and then he spends his evenings um, outside the city on the Mount of Olives. And uh, one evening, he got—I, I, you know—I I sure understand—he got tired of sleeping outside. And he said, "I want to sleep in a bed." And so he stopped off at some friends' home and uh, spent the night with them. And we we talked about all that. Um, and so, following that encounter in Luke 10, we see Jesus, or we see Luke, uh, mentioning uh, an encounter that Jesus had with his disciples, probably back out on the Mount of Olives. And uh, let me just read it to you. It says, Jesus was praying, this is Luke chapter 11, the first 13 verses. It says, Jesus was praying in a certain place, probably the Mount of Olives. And when he was done, one of his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray like John, John the Baptist, taught his disciples. And Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us Each day our daily bread, really the the better translation for that would be daily. And then he's going to mention some things that we should do daily. One of those is daily give us our bread and daily forgive us our sins as we also forgive all who are indebted to us. And daily lead us not into temptation. That's probably the way Jesus said that. And that's probably the way the disciples heard that. And then Jesus said, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey. And I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, inside the door, he answers, Don't bother me. The door's been shut and my kids and I are in bed together. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He won't give him a snake instead, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg by his child... He won't give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Um, I think it's very significant that in Luke's gospel, his rendition of the important events in the life of his Savior he mentions at least eight times something about Jesus' prayer life. Something about, uh, eight times at least, Jesus had the habit of going out and spending time alone with his Father in prayer. I think Luke's point is, Jesus didn't have a little plaque on his bumper or on his, the rear end of his donkey. Uh, or He didn't have a little bit that said, Hand, life is fragile, handle with care. <clears throat> handle with prayer. Life is fragile, handle with prayer. Jesus didn't have a little bumper sticker or wall plaque. That's how he lived. Jesus lived life. He approached life. By displaying the habit of taking things to his Father in prayer. So much so that uh, one day while Jesus is praying, one of his disciples, we don't know which one, but one of his disciples when Jesus got through said, You know Jesus, other rabbis teach their followers us how to pray. You, you've never taught us this. You've never taught us how to pray. I want to learn to pray like you. Would you teach us how to pray? Um, I find that very, very significant. That this disciple had to ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. Jesus didn't tell the 12 how to pray. He lived it out in front of them to such a degree that as they observed his prayer life, they wanted to learn how to do it too. Jesus had a visibly active prayer life. I take that to mean that as Jesus went through His day when He encountered problems, battles, temptations, needs, challenges, attacks, Jesus responded with prayer. But He also did it in front of people. People associated prayer with the life of Jesus. He taught His disciples How to pray primarily by example. And I want to just stop just a second. And I want to say something. Um, I I want to say something, Will, to you. I want to say something to you, Rachel. I want to say something to you, George. Um, I want to say something to you, Amy um, and Anna. I, I want to say something to you, parents. Jesus taught... People primarily by example. When he introduced himself to people. And wanted to create a relationship with them. His common way of doing that was to utter the words, follow me. Follow me. Not listen to me. Not obey me. Not learn from me. His go-to default main way of engaging in a relationship with people that were important to him. He would utter the words, follow me. The two most powerful words of influence. Lasting influence follow me Jesus's message primarily wasn't listen and obey it was simply come and follow Jesus did not primarily teach people how they should live or what they should do primarily Jesus's method of influence was to live a life That was so superior that other people, as they observed it, they went, wow. I want to get in on that. You seem to go through life full of love, full of peace, full of wisdom, full of joy. Not a life full of abundance. $100 $100 bills falling out of the head. boob all the time, Jesus. Uh, you just walk along and kick up gold blooms or whatever they had, shekels, gold shekels. Um, you never have troubles. You never skin your knee. You never have enemies. You never have... No, no, no. But as you go through life, you live such a superior life. I want. How does that work? I'd like to get in... On that. People wanted to know from Jesus how his life worked, why he did things the way he did, and how they could get in on the same kind of a deal. Is that your plan of parenting? Is that is that the we want to talk our kids to death. And that's literally what we're doing. We are talking them to death. To the point and What do you do when the noise is so loud and incessant that it drives you crazy? I can tell you what you do. You click it off. My grandson last night had five different of these little Christmas things that you punch or pull or shake and then it plays a little song and wiggles. One's a Christmas tree and one's a reindeer and one's a elf and one's a Santa Claus. And they were go- and the minute one ended, he, he just continually went around. And at some point, they're all going and moving and screaming and hollering and singing these jingles and I'm like, oh my gosh, I would love to turn them all off. That's the way our kids feel. Oh my gosh, I'd love to turn him off. Oh my gosh, I'd love to turn her off. Nobody ever said, Jesus, turn off. Because Jesus lived a life in such a way that people, as they watched him, they wanted to know more. They came asking questions rather than him chasing them around, trying to impose upon them what he wanted them to to believe and do. I believe the Christian life was primarily designed not to be heard but overheard. It was not primarily our children should but caught. Our children should grow up in environments where they don't have to be told what marriage is supposed to look like. They ought to just watch it. And when they get old enough, they go, I'd like that too. We don't have to teach them about money, they'll observe it. We don't have to teach them about being nice, about prayer, about reading your Bible. You'll just, they, they, God designed it in such a way that they grow. That we shouldn't have to teach our children to say thank you and please. We shouldn't have to teach our children to say, please, tell them you're sorry. Tell them to ask for forgiveness. We should never have to teach them that. I'm, I'm I'm just telling you what I believe with all of my heart. It was designed in such a way that as children grow up and they watch dad ask mom, I was wrong when I snapped at you a little while ago. Will you forgive me? I'm telling you, when a child grows up in a home where they see parents treating each other and treating the children in a superior way of life. Unless your kid's an idiot. I mean, unless he's just got a brain the size of a pea, he'll, he'll catch it. He'll, under, he'll choose what's superior. And if he's an idiot, then you're doomed anyway. So there's nothing you can do about that. But, you, but I'm telling you, your children are not. They are not idiots. They are sharp and they're smart and they're great. And hence, they will grow up. And if they have the example in front of them of what a superior life looks like, I want that. I want in on that. Rather than us living in fear that inferior ways of life are going to rob our children of the futures that God has for them. We all not have to live in fear. That that is not, I, I am suggesting to you that that is not God's plan. Just give them a superior example. They'll pick that. They'll pick that. Okay, somebody asked Jesus, teach us how to pray? And so Jesus responds by giving them a a very basic, simple, four-part model um, uh, that He wanted them to, uh, to remember as they prayed. Jesus did not give them some kind of a theological formula That they had to to follow. Or Jesus didn't give them some kind of a magic incantation. That if you chant it loud enough. Or you say it enough times. Somehow that is the magic ATM of prayer. No, he just gave them a very simple model. With four ideas. I believe saying, as you pray, I want you to think about including these things. These will be helpful things to remember as you learn to pray. First thing that I think is very significant is the very first word that comes out of Jesus' mouth when it comes to prayer. He starts by uttering the word Father. And many of you have heard teaching on this. This is not revolutionary. Uh, Maybe not as far as being new. Oh, that we would get it. Um, Jesus uses the word "Abba," Abba, Father. Um, for you and I, that's uh, to this to this very day. If you know Jewish families, in many, many, many Jewish families, especially in the Middle East, but even in America, in in homes, the children will call out to their they, they'll call their dads by some form of the phrase "Abba." It was a phrase that children used. speak to their dads Um, it was not something that was like slang or like dad it wasn't like that it was it was a phrase that really communicated being intimately familiar with it was a it was a, a, a word that communicated deep respect deep intimacy and most importantly, Abba was a word that you would use to describe a person that you had deep adoration for. You love them. You know them. You trust them. You, you delight in them. And I'm just going to tell y'all, I'm going to go back and refer to this in a minute in another way. But um, I don't know whether you know somebody that has a relationship with their dad like that. Uh, my wife has a relationship with her dad that way. Um, when I tell you, my, my wife doesn't just love her dad. She adores him. She, she doesn't call him Abba. But that's the phrase that I think of when I hear her talk about her dad. She delights in him. She truly adores him. It's not just love because she loves me. But she delights in her daddy. It's a a unique level of relationship. Um, Jesus um, uses a phrase, Abba, that the, the, the Jewish people of his day, they commonly used in their homes, but they would have never used to approach God. And yet Jesus introduces this idea that you can talk to God With that kind of deep intimacy and and, and relationship and delight. Jesus saw and related to Almighty God as His Abba Father. And as such, He took to His Father His hopes, His dreams, His battles, His problems, and His wounds like any child would bring to their dad. When they fall down, when they get hit, when their toy gets snatched away from them, when they're in a, there's a bad thunderstorm and they wake up with a bad dream, they would run to their father for help. Jesus related to his heavenly father in the same way. Jesus' view of his father, his heavenly father, was incredibly unique. He saw God the Father in a way that had never been seen before. And it drove his prayer life. Jesus prayed out of a perspective of how he saw God the Father. And I would just, I'm not trying to be morbid or, you know, or anything like that. But you and I, to a large degree, we're going to see and relate to God the Father based upon our view of Him. What we believe to be true of Him will drive our prayer lives. And I would just suggest that for many of us, We need healing in our view of God the Father. Now for some of you, like my wife, my wife has such a beautiful view of God the Father. I I long to have that kind of view. My mom has that kind of a view of of God the Father. It flows out of her view of her relationship with her dad. My wife flows out of her relationship with her dad. For many of us, whether it was our relationship with our dad, whether it was our relationship maybe with a church leader that represented God, or maybe it was our relationship with a church, or maybe um, it was our relationship with God himself. God, based upon our perspective, God let us down. God disappointed us, God related to us in a way that we felt was um, inconsistent with who God should be. I don't know, but I'm telling us, if we do not have a view of God, That would lead us to declare God loves me unconditionally, God is with me continually, God delights in me passionately, and God is committed to my good every second of every day. If that's not our testimony, we have a damaged, skewed view of God. And I, I'm the first one to start. I think God is holding back at times. God puts this cut is mad at me. I think God puts this carrot you know about just, but I never can grab it. And if I run and run and run and run and run and run and run hard enough, I'll eventually grab it. I'll eventually make Him happy with me. I'll eventually please Him. When bad things happen, it's because God's mad at me. Many of us have a very skewed, damaged view of who God is and how God feels about us and how God relates to us. And we need healing. And I only say that to you, that that's why we ought to read the Bible. More than we do. Well, How much should we read? How much do you read? Read more than that. Because as we read the Word of God, and as we let the Holy Spirit speak to us from the Word of God, He'll begin to open our eyes to who the God of the Bible is. He'll begin to help us. He'll begin. It's not a moment. It's it's, it's not an instant. It's a a process. But God will begin to heal us. And and correct uh, our damaged, broken view of God. Um, So, quickly. Jesus tells the disciples, I want, when you pray, I want you to have four little memory joggers. Four things that I think would be helpful for you to remember as you pray. One of those is, he says, um, Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Now, we could spend years discussing all that that means. But I just want to suggest to you that at the end of the day what I believe Jesus was trying to teach the disciples and trying to teach me and you. When Jesus says, Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. I think that Jesus was just declaring to the disciples, I know my dad. I know my father. I love him. I think he's glorious. I think he's incomparable i think he is wonderful he acts wonderfully he is wonderful he always treats me wonderfully he relates to me wonderfully he feels about me wonderfully the 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 person that i'm talking to i declare his His transcendence, there's nobody like him. I declare his goodness, I declare his greatness, I declare that he is unlike anyone else in his beauty, in his wisdom, in his power, in his sovereignty, in his passion, in his justice, in his mercy, in his forgiveness. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. And I'm the beneficiary of that. He pours all of that. He directs all of that toward me. I'm the beneficiary of that wonderfulness. He thinks that I'm wonderful. And he's committed all of that wonderfulness to me. And I just want to declare that that's who he is. That's who I'm talking to. And I want... Everybody in the world, when he says thy kingdom come, I want everybody in the world to to know how wonderful you are. I want everybody in the world to experience that wonderfulness. I want everybody in the world to be convinced that you know best. And when we join you in how you operate, when we value what you value, when we relate as you relate, when we live as you live, life will be perfect. Life will be great. It'll it'll go the way it's supposed to. I want everybody to know how wonderful you are. And I want everybody to experience you. And I want everybody on the earth to live like you live. Do you know who I just described? The way my wife feels about her dad. My wife believes that her daddy is, the, is wonderful. She believes that he lives a superior way of life. She believes that if everybody else lived the way her daddy lived, the world would be a good place. He doesn't yell. He doesn't scream. He doesn't judge. He doesn't cuss. He doesn't get out of control. He, do, he just... If you are around my wife for any amount of time, she will let you know in a world of selfish, foolish, irrational, nut job people, my dad lives life rightly. And he is always related to me rightly. And if everybody else got on his van, the world would be a good place. That's what Jesus is saying about his dad. That's exactly what he's saying about about his dad. I hallow your name and may your kingdom operate on this earth around me the way it operates in heaven. He also, um, he says, daily, Would you provide that which I need to survive? Give us today our daily bread. Give us daily. Really the the literal words are. Give us daily our daily bread. Give us what we need to survive. And what Jesus is saying there is. Just the. There's something powerful about you and I declaring in the morning. Before we start our day. God. You are my source of provision, and I trust that as you've provided for me in the past, as you provided for me yesterday, you will provide for me today. You'll provide the way you provided for the Israelites in the wilderness. Every morning they walked, they woke up, every morning they, I'm, honey, I'm hungry. Well, Let's go outside and see if there's any manna. No. Nobody said, let's go outside and see if there's any manna. Nobody sat in their tent going, oh my gosh, Cleo. What's going to be plan B if the manna's not there? No, no, no. The indication that you get from reading the the Pentateuch is they got up and they knew. Now they complained about it because they're a bunch of knotheads, just like we complain about God's blessings. But nobody was going, will it be there? God's provision was there every day. Not, Father, give us, give us today our daily lobster. Give us today our daily caviar. Give us today our daily Mercedes. Give us today our daily jet to Paris. Now, we can debate about all that kind of shenanigans, but at the end of the day, Jesus says it's important. There's nothing wrong with, with any of those things. My, my point is, Jesus felt like it was important for us to daily declare God as you have been faithful in the past to provide for us you will do so again today Jesus approached his father with his daily hopes that everyone in the world would know his father and live in relationship with his father he approached his father With His daily hunger, I need you to meet my needs today. Provide for me today. He approached His Father and wants us to approach uh, His Father with our daily failures. Father, please forgive me today for my failures. There's something very powerful about verbalizing, I failed today. We create this illusion, and I can, I can be the first one that I'm not perfect, but I live better than most of you. And everybody in my life is really lucky that they get to be in my tribe. And I can get to a place where I, I forget I fail every day. Just like I need bread every day, I need forgiveness every day. Father, forgive me for failing you. Forgive me for not relating to the people in the world the way you relate to me. That's what Jesus is saying. I fail. I, I'm selfish. I'm short-sighted. I snap at people. I, I I put things on people that I shouldn't. I I uh, put demands on people. I, I put demands on you that I don't live up to myself and I need forgiveness and you need forgiveness and we need it from God and we need it from each other when's the last time you looked at somebody in your life when's the last time you looked at your child or looked at your mate and said hey I was wrong acknowledging that verbally there's something powerful about acknowledging that verbally looking somebody in the face and saying I was wrong Will you forgive me? Jesus shared his daily fears and wants us to share our daily fears. He says, "Lead us not into temptation." And that word temptation was a very generic word that could mean and was translated. Lead us not into daily battles, daily trials, daily attacks. Daily difficulties, daily temptations, and you're just acknowledging to God, God. Today is my my daughter used to have a little card in her bathroom that said, "Forgot the way I'm. I'm going to murder it. I wish Shirley was here. Something about is the world a friendly place? Forgot how that was. Some smart dude said that something like that. Anyway, I've forgotten the way. But anyway, the point is, I'm gonna, The answer to that is, the world's not a friendly place. The world's not a is the world filled with glorious things? Yes. But the world's also a dangerous place. And we're going to encounter battles and attacks and temptations uh, and difficulties. And I'm acknowledging that I need your help. I'm acknowledging that you will help me because you always have. But I'm acknowledging to you and to myself that I'm going to need your help today to withstand, to endure, to overcome. And then Jesus says, I want to make sure you get the most important thing. I want to make sure that you get this so that when you pray... It'll work the way it's supposed to work. And Jesus tells the disciples a parable. He says there was a man in a little Israelite village. And that midnight there was a knock on the door. Probably around 11 o'clock. There was a knock on the door. Hey, Bill! Uh, Me and my family are here for a visit or we're traveling through. And we didn't have a place to stay and we want to stay with you. And the man says, oh my goodness. Well, come on in. We got to take you in. He took him in. And he whispered to his wife, what are we going to feed him? And his wife looks at him and says, sir our honey, we don't have one thing in the house to feed him. That was a huge Social and cultural uh, faux pas, source of shame to not be able to care for guests when they came to stay in your house. To this very day, that's true. Even more so then. And so the man has a neighbor and he runs to the neighbor. It says friend, but it's probably more neighbor. Runs to his neighbor. Now, by this time, it's midnight. They got all the luggage in, got everything, everybody settled. And he runs to his neighbor and he says, Hey, I need to borrow some bread. I've got guests that have dropped by unexpectedly. I've got to have some bread for them. And the man from inside the door, the locked door, which I understand that perfectly. It is midnight. People are asleep at midnight. They're not screwing around with other things. They're asleep. That's what people do at midnight. It's a lovely way to live life. And uh, so he says, he says, I'm in, I in. number one, it's midnight. Number two, I'm in bed. Number three, I'm in bed surrounded by my children. I cannot get up and help you without disturbing them. This is not convenient. This is not desirable. This is not what I want to do. And he says, I'm not going to help you. And then Jesus ends the story by saying, what the man in bed with his kids would not do to help this neighbor out because he's kind, because he's loving, because he likes this person, because he has feelings for this person, because he wants to be a blessing... What he wouldn't do for this man out of the goodness of his heart, he will eventually do. Just because the man... He nags him enough. He cries enough. He yells enough. He bangs enough. The man will eventually get up and help this man. Not because he wants to but because he just is sick and tired of all the noise. So what's the point? I don't have time to go into all the different interpretations, buddy. I bet I I can't tell you how many different theologians had different takes on all this, but I just want to suggest to you my take. What is Jesus' point here? when he is asked to teach about prayer, how prayer works. And he ends his teaching on prayer by telling the story about a man who's in desperate need for help. And he goes to a neighbor and he beats on the door and the, help, 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 help. And the man says, I'm not going to help you. But because the first guy won't stop nagging and banging and yelling, The man in bed with his kids finally will help. What's the point of the story? I would suggest to you that the point of the story from Jesus' perspective is simply this. Who are you in the story? And who are you talking to when you're in desperate need? I think Jesus wants us before we start praying every day to ask ourselves the question, Who are you? And who are you talking to? Are you the neighbor? Banging on the door? Or are you the child in bed? Snuggled up to that dad. Dad. Remember the first word Jesus uttered? Teach us how to pray. Okay? When you pray with the first Father. Father. He begins with Father, He ends with Father. Who are you? Help Jesus! Help! Jesus, help! But I know you're begrudging, going to help me begrudgingly. You're irritated. You're annoyed. You're distracted. You're busy. You got bigger. Man, you got stuff going on in uh, 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 North Korea and the Middle East and in Washington. You got internet. Man, what in the world are we going to have with the internet and the nuclear crisis and world? Fa- you got to help if I just bang long enough. if I just just nag God to death, if I just irritate Him, if I yell long enough, if I say a magic formula of words, somehow if I bang long enough, I'm outside the door and I bang long enough, God will hear me. Is that who you are? Is that who you are? Are you one of those kids? Last night, my grandson, I, had, I put him to bed, which translates, lad, you're, <laughs> you stay with me. And so he and I were in the bed. And buddy, he has this way. He, he, number one, he puts his leg over my leg to make sure lad's not going to pull a fast one and slip out. <laughs> so he puts his leg over my leg, and then he puts his arm right across my neck. And then he burrows his shoulder right down where he's just right under me. And he's breathing that that breathing on me. And then he starts snoring. I'm telling you. It oh. Wonder if he woke up with a bad dream. Does he need to yell? Plead, nag. Wonder if a storm comes up and he's afraid. Wonder if he wakes up hungry or thirsty? Does it, you think I would go? Well, I'm going to help you if you ask long enough, and but my help's going to be begrudgingly, irritatedly, frustratedly, distractedly, because I've got other things that I need to be working on. No, I, wanna, I want to. Who are you in the story? Are you the neighbor banging on the door from outside the family? Or are you one of the children in bed? And all you got to do is whisper, Lad, I'm thirsty. Lad, I'm scared. Lad, what's that loud noise outside? That thunder. It'll affect your prayer life depending on how you answer that. Other question Jesus wants us to ask, who are you talking to? Are you some neighbor like Larry that's in bed, sound asleep, and you come beating on, Brian comes beating on my door, hey man, I need to borrow some bread. I would probably holler out, dude, you come back tomorrow. I'm asleep. Don't be bothering me right now. I don't want you go find a 24-hour open place or just come back. But I don't want you to bother me. Or are you talking to the father that is in bed holding his kids tight? How we see the father that we're talking to and how we believe the father sees us. That'll determine your prayer life. That'll determine how you pray. It'll determine what you pray about. It'll determine how often you pray. Jesus wants very much for us to see God as our Abba Father. And He loves us so much that He wants us in bed with Him. And He wants us to see ourselves as dearly loved children. The Bible says that we're a lot of things, guys, because of Jesus. Because of Jesus coming to this earth and dying on the cross. The Bible says we once were slaves and now we're free We once were aliens and now we're citizens. Once we were goats and now we're sheep. Once we were sick and now we're healed. Once we were in poverty and now we're rich. Once we were in debt up to our eyeballs and now that debt's been paid. I could go on and on and on and on and on with all the things that have changed because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. But I am convinced that of all the things that Jesus wants us to know because of his death on the cross, once we were orphans and now we are the children of God. He wants us to know that. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, I will be a father to you And you shall be sons and daughters to me, declares the Lord Almighty. John says in 1 John 3, How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is who we are. Paul says in Romans 8, You are no longer fearful slaves. Rather, you've received the Spirit of God when He adopted you into His family and made you His children, and now we call Him Abba Father. And then John begins his gospel by making sure that we understand how do you get in on that family? How do you get in the bed? How do you get in the bed with the Father so that at nighttime, When you're scared, when there's a storm, and when you have a bad dream, and you get hungry and thirsty, the Father's right there. And all you got to do is whisper. How do you get in on that deal? John says in chapter 1 of his gospel, But to as many as received him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. They don't have to make good grades or mow the grass or clean their room. They just have to receive Him as their Savior. But if they do, He gives them the right to become the children of God. Okay. Brian, would you and Whitney come up and help me please? We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, Christ never sinned, but He died for sinners to bring us safely home to God. Christ never sinned, but He died for us sinners to bring us safely home to God. If that is your hope, Your prayer, your wish, your belief. If that's what you're banking your future on. Christ died for me and my sin. And I believe that it happened. And I believe that it's true. And I believe it works. And hence, I believe that He is going to take me safely home someday. If that's your belief, then I invite you to come. And to take bread, which represents the body of Jesus. And wine or juice, which represents his blood. And to eat and to drink and to remember and give thanks.